is Theme from the Unknown. That's the name of the song. Theme from the Unknown by the band The Ogres that appears on their album The Acrid and Misanthropic Sounds of The Ogres. You can find out more about them at ogres.bandcamp.com or you can follow the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, which is the website of the podcast you're listening to right now, Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre movies of yesteryear. I am your host, Derek M. Cook. Monster Kids, welcome to the show. This is episode 54, and as I said last week, there's only going to be one episode of Monster Kid Radio. This time around, instead of a Tuesday-Thursday thing, we're doing a Wednesday jam, and this is a potpourri-type episode. I've got a handful of little bits and pieces that I've recorded since we launched Monster Kid Radio that I'm finally going to be sharing with you guys and gals. For example, we have a mini-interview with filmmaker Wayne Sturgill. Now, he directed the movie Invader from Venus, and this was one of the Monster Kid Radio crash events that I did at the very beginning of Monster Kid Radio's existence. I went to the Clinton Street Theater here in Portland, Oregon for the world premiere of the movie. Now, it was done in the style of the 60s science fiction films, and I was fortunate to grab a few minutes with director Wayne Sturgill after the movie to talk a little bit about the film and just kind of rap a little bit about why we like these movies. Now, here's the thing. Invader from Venus is not available to view, buy, rent, or anything like that. I've been watching for it. I've not seen it turn up anywhere online. And that's unfortunate because I think some monster kids would dig this movie. And that's why I sat on this interview. You know, I hate to promote a movie that you can't see. But then I started flipping through some of my old Castle of Frankenstein magazines, which, by the way, I love Castle of Frankenstein magazine. If you don't know what it is, look it up online. Get your hands on some of the back issues, man. This is a fun magazine. Anyway, I started going through some of my older Castle of Frankenstein magazines, and I found that a lot of times, back then, these magazines were covering movies by up-and-coming filmmakers, monster kids, fan filmmakers, that sort of thing. Sure, you might not be able to see the movie, but the interviews with the filmmakers, the review of the movies themselves, still provided content and still thrilled us. And that's what I'm hoping we can do with this mini-interview that we have with Wayne Sturgill. Also in this episode of Monster Kid Radio, I'm playing two rounds of the Classic Five. I haven't played that here on the show in a little while. The Classic Five is the fast response, five-question card game. It's either a yes or no, it's a pick this or that, true or false, that sort of thing. Don't put a lot of thought into it, just whatever comes to the top of your head, you spit it out once I ask the question. Now, I'm going to be playing that with two returning guests of Monster Kid Radio, and you're just going to have to stay tuned to find out who they are. Monster Kid Radio listeners, there will be a home version of the Classic Five coming out in 2014. So stay tuned to our website over at Monster Kid Radio for news about that for when that happens. Something else you can find over at our website, our contact information. You can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or drop us a voicemail at our voicemail line at 503-4795-MKR. That's 503-4795-657. I do have a voicemail from Steve Sullivan, another former guest here at Monster Kid Radio, and a prolific author, the man behind the recent novelization of the original zombie film, White Zombie. I have some feedback from him we're going to be going over in this episode of Monster Kid Radio as well. Also, I'm going to review a movie. The company Film Chest put out a new edition of the movie The Bat from 1959, starring our man, Vincent Price, directed by Crane Wilbur. I've never seen this movie before. This is my first time checking this movie out. I'm excited to review it and talk about it here on the show. So we'll be doing that as well. I know we'll be doing feedback proper here in a little bit, but I do want to say thank you to everybody who sent me a private message saying happy birthday. I really appreciate it. Y'all didn't have to. So thanks. 
makes turning 40 a little easier, so uh, I really appreciate it. I also appreciate all the reviews we received in the iTunes store. We have what we're calling the 50 review challenge ongoing until, well, we hit 50 reviews in the iTunes store. If you subscribe to the show through iTunes, we're asking that you head over there and leave us an honest review. Once we get to 50 reviews, we're going to launch a new spinoff monthly show here on Monster Kid Radio. Can't do it unless we get 50 reviews. So if you haven't already done so, please head over there and drop us an honest review. And speaking of calls to action and reviews and that sort of thing, we're winding up 2013 and the end of the year is when a lot of websites and a lot of organizations start putting together their best ofs. They start maybe doing awards of some sort. Well, the Classic Horror Film Board is no different and they do the Rondo Awards where they celebrate all sorts of things when it comes to classic horror and monster movies. I'm going to recommend that you head over to the Classic Horror Film Board's which is over at ClassicHorrorFilmBoard.com, or you can follow the link in the show notes. Register, and then one of the very first sections of the forums is a section for the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Take a moment of your time, go in there, find the 12th Annual Rondo Award nominations thread, and just start nominating away for all of your classic horror works published or released in 2013. The Rondo Awards have all sorts of great categories. Best new release of a classic film, best new release of a new film, website stuff, articles, magazines, magazine covers, artworks, toys, television shows. I mean, every year I look forward to the Rondo Award nominations because I use it as kind of a shopping list of articles that I might have missed, of videos that I might have missed, of podcasts that I didn't check out, just all sorts of things that... Us monster kids love. I mean, it's all there on the Rondo Awards. So again, head over to ClassicHorrorFilmBoard.com. Get into that thread and start placing nominees for what you think were the best in classic horror and classic horror journalism in 2013. I feel like I've rambled a lot during this intro. So I'm going to take a short break and then we're going to kick it off with a round of the Classic Five with somebody. Here we go. White Zombie a new novelization of the classic horror movie from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive-Thru Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. Okay, so it's time for another round of the Classic Five, and this time I'm joined by Rich Chamberlain, the Monster Movie Kid. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing good. Excellent. So the Classic Five, five random rapid-fire questions having to do with classic monster movies. There will be a home edition in 2014, but for now, we are playing with Rich. Are you ready, sir? I am ready. Go ahead. All right. Question number one. Favorite Abbott and Costello meet monster movie? Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Jack Pierce or Paul Blaisdell? Jack Pierce. Favorite actor to play Dr. Frankenstein? Oh. <laughs> um, Peter Cushing. Famous Monsters of Filmland or Castle of Frankenstein magazine? Famous Monsters. The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits? Twilight Zone. Excellent. Well, thank you for playing the Classic Five. You win. Your prize is you get to tell us about your website. 
Well, I uh, have been running, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. Uh, it started off as just a fun exercise to get me writing creatively, since I write more officially in my day job. And I started off last year with the 31 Days of Halloween. I watched one movie a day throughout the month of October and wrote about it, and it just turned out to be a big success. I got a lot of uh, response and, uh, yeah, I'm going to do it again this October. I'm going to do the 31 Days of Halloween. I've got the movies already lined up that I'm going to be watching every day of the month. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure there's a link to your website in the show notes. Thanks for playing, Rich. All right. Thank you. Now, clearly, that was recorded several months ago. This was recorded uh, before October even. So go to monstermoviekid.wordpress.com and look at the archives to see his 31 Days of Halloween, as well as everything else that he's been covering on his website lately. As of this recording, the last thing that he posted was a review of the movie Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidra, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack from 2001. And he says it's one of his all-time favorite flicks of the entire Godzilla franchise. So go read that, check it out, and if you leave a comment over on his website, let him know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. It's 1964 in the town of Rock Cliff, where scientists Jack Vanderhoek and Dr. Myron Kessler must thwart an evil invader from Venus named Zaykor, who seeks to conquer mankind, but who must first take control of Project Skyhawk, the most advanced rocket and scientific research facility on Earth. Domineering over all with his flying saucer and superior weapons, Zaykor ruthlessly kills with wanton desire. But the Skyhawk team won't go away quietly into the night in this science fiction thriller that's packed tight with confrontations and a deadly duel to the finish. That was the description of the movie Invader from Venus, taken directly from the Clinton Street Theater's website back in May when this movie had its premiere at the Clinton Street Theater here in Portland, Oregon. The director of this feature-length film is Wayne Sturgill. Now, unfortunately, the movie is not available to purchase online or rent or anything like that. I think somebody uploaded a teeny tiny clip and called it a trailer on YouTube. So I cannot tell you where you can find the movie. However, as I said in the very beginning of this episode... Sometimes the older Monster Kid magazines covered fan films and student productions, amateur productions, things like that, that were not available for viewing across the world or even, you know, in a theater down the street. And it's in that spirit that I wanted to chat with Wayne Sturgill after watching the movie. Now, the movie is feature length. It's a little bit more low budget than, say, like Christopher R. Mims movies, which are a throwback to the 50s style of science fiction monster movies. Wayne's movie, Invader from Venus, is a 60s style sci-fi film. So it's got a little bit more going for it in terms of optical effects, that sort of thing. And at its core, it still has a lot of heart. And after the movie, Wayne was able to spend a few minutes with me as we chatted about the movie before they kicked us out of the Clinton Street Theater for the next showing that night. So I'm here with Wayne Sturgill. This was the world premiere of Invader from Venus? That's right. And you've been working on this movie, I think I overheard you say to somebody, for two years? Shockingly, it's true. Two years. And it's, it's a local production. You're based in Oregon. This was shot all in Oregon. It was all done in Oregon at the Oregon Dunes, down in Salem, Oregon, over at the Evergreen Aviation and Space Museum, and over in uh, Central Oregon, mainly. What was the reaction when you asked somebody, hey, I'm shooting this kind of movie at your location? Did you get any looks or any stories or anything like that? Oregonians are always a little bit shell-shocked by people who uh, seriously try to make a film, because obviously we can't compete with Hollywood budgets and things like that. But uh, after they see the results, they generally are favorable. Mm-hmm. 
and Invader from Venus is done in the style of the 60s movies. And before we started recording, you and I were just kind of jamming about, you know, John Agar and Plan 9, things like that. What is it about those types of movies that has driven you to make a movie of your own? Personality. What do you mean by that? Great actors. Uh-huh. Fantastic scripts. A feel of an era that could never be recaptured, no matter how much money was poured into a production. <laughs> never. You cannot recreate history. That's true. Good point. Good point. That's the people who tried to redo the Three Stooges. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. We're not, we're not going to go there, man. I, I try not to think about that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, knock, knock. <laughs> what movie, were there any movies that you intentionally took some visual cues from or storytelling cues from for Invader from Venus? Yes, I would say The Black Cat with uh, uh, Bela Lugosi and lovable Boris Karloff, uh, The Raven. Any of those 50 and 40s and 30 genre films where they use a lot of black and white and shadow effects and where the backgrounds and the actors are intensely clear. As you notice in a lot of modern day films, backgrounds are all blurred out. They, they use too many close-ups, mm-hmm. so you don't get the feel of the atmosphere of the film. You're just getting a lot of cinema, cinematic poof, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh-huh. You said, uh, again, before we started recording, you collect these kinds of movies. Um, what are some of your favorites that you haven't mentioned already? What, what are some things our listeners should go look for? <laughs> if you haven't seen all three of the Creature from the Black Lagoon yes. movies, you have not lived. yes. If you haven't uh, reviewed Bela Lugosi's films outside of Dracula, which is beautiful, mm-hmm. and you are missing something, uh, Boris Karloff is so classic that when he steps on the screen, you have to watch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Agar, a way underrated actor, mm-hmm. has beautiful personality and plays the romantic parts great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish I was John Agar. <laughs> okay. And he was a wonderful man, too. Yeah. I read his biography, and I have his autograph on my, on my wall. You know, I mean, I just, he was wonderful. And so was Richard Carlson, who I happen to love mm-hmm. as an actor. So I think that kind of answers it. I could go on and on about all these guys. <laughs> but, I mean, these were wonderful guys working for not a lot of money that loved the work they were doing. And you got to give credit to the, to the prop guys in those movies. This, you know, the guys that did all the lighting, the film work, they were amazing. They were amazing. And no video effects. Right. Okay, these are real people doing real things. You mentioned Richard Carlson. Did I see maybe a little bit of, like, maybe some influence from the magnetic monster in this? <laughs> you most certainly did. Uh, when I was doing the role as the um, doctor in this film, Invader from Venus, Dr. Jack Van der Hook, uh, <laughs> I couldn't help but think of a Richard Carlson, yeah. who just had such screen persona. And though he wasn't the greatest looking guy in the world, he just knew how to play the roles, or whether it was romantic, dramatic, uh, you know, even psychotic. He was a wonderful actor. And, uh, you know, I wish I could be like him, but <laughs> those things don't happen. Is this your first film? No. Okay. This is about my 25th film. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And I've done about uh, 8 to 10 what you would call horror sci-fi types. All in an NR type, uh, G-rated type mm-hmm. films. Uh, we don't go into nudity or excessive gore or really foul, what you'd call foul language. Mm-hmm. What do you have next? What's coming up next? Well... <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we're going to go with uh, uh, more sci-fi and try to get into the, the more of the terror-type genre of sci-fi as you would see in the 50s. Say, like, I Married a Monster from Outer Space is a wonderful movie. Uh, possibly, uh, what's another great one from those eras that just kind of terrifies you, but it's not, like, sickening? <laughs> well, I'd have to go home and look at my list because I've got so many in my head. They just... Yeah. And then I have certain scenes I like better and some films and other, you know, so it goes on and on. <laughs> How big is your movie collection? 15,000 films, probably. Wow. Holy crap. That's that's amazing. That's great. Well, I appreciate you keeping the spirit of the, of the 40s, 50s, 60s alive with this. Thank you so much for, for bringing the movie here, and thanks for chatting with me. I'm still fascinated by whatever it is about these movies, these classic monster movies that seems to inspire artists to create more artwork in line with those classic movies, whether it's filmmakers like Wayne Sturgill or Christopher R. Mim, artists like Daniel Horn or Kerry Gamble, sculptors like Tom Bigler writers like Stephen D. Sullivan or Dwight Kemper. I, I don't get it. I love it, but I don't get it. I don't know what it is about these movies that makes people like us, people who love these movies, want to create art like these movies. You just don't see that with other subgenres. You don't see people watch, say, like the Step Up franchise and then decide they want to make sculptures and artwork and paintings and books based on that kind of stuff. You just don't see it in anything other than this subgenre. Is it even a subgenre? This type of monster movie. And I love it. Okay, we're going to play a round of the Classic Five. There will be a home game version of this available in 2014. But for now, we're going to play it with Chris McMillan. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. How are you, Derek? I'm good. I'm good. So the Classic right. Five. Five random questions that have to do with monster movies. I'm going to ask these questions. Yes or no, this or that. Rapid fire. Don't think too hard about them. And uh, there's no wrong answer. Oh, good. All right? <laughs> I'm not I being graded. I like that. <laughs> no grading. No pressure. <laughs> unless, you know, you disagree with me. So. Uh -oh. <laughs> I've got five <laughs> randomly selected questions from my deck of cards here. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yep. Let's go. Oh, okay. Favorite actor to play Frankenstein's monster? Oh, Boris Karloff. Favorite Bella Lugosi role? Uh, Dracula. Comes okay. right off. Christopher Lee or Peter Lorre? Christopher Lee. Which one black and white monster movie would you want to see colorized? Creature from the Black Lagoon. And then finally, the mole people or the Morlocks? Morlocks. Excellent. Well, you win, Chris. Congratulations. Yay! <laughs> your prize is, is you get to pitch your website. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me at the Shadow Over Portland at shadowoverportland.blogspot.com. That is the Pacific Northwest premier horror news website. I go to it near daily to find out what's going on in my neck of the woods. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A port city in the Canadian province of Ontario and Canada's 10th largest city. This boy has a lot to learn. 
Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Oh, sorry, I thought you said Hamilton. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Come closer. Closer. That's right. I'm Vincent Price. You'll be just as safe in this house of fear as any of the other five victims murdered by the bat. In all of the annals of mystery, there's never been a more elusive, fearsome, and cunning killer. He'll lure you through hidden passages to make you his next victim... But nobody lives forever, so why be afraid of the bat? How long's he been dead? Oh, I'd say about a half an hour. Do you believe it was the bat? That's a bat's trademark. Perhaps he's still in the house. That's possible. It says here that the bat never leaves no fingerprints. That's understandable. Having no face, he probably has no fingers either. waiting for you. Released last month by Film Chess Media Group, we saw The Bat. It's a 1959 film directed by Crane Wilbur, starring Vincent Price. This is a remastered version of the movie, supposedly taken from the original 35mm elements. This print actually looks really good, and the sound's good, too. This movie is sharp, it's clear, you get to enjoy everything that Vincent Price brings to the table with this film. But let's talk about some of the other people involved. Like I said, it was directed by Crane Wilbur, who also wrote the movie. It was based on a play by Mary Roberts Reinhardt and Avery Hopwood. And based on my limited research, this is the third time that this play has been turned into a film before it was done as The Bat in 1926 and then The Bat Returns in 1930. Or was it The Bat Whispers? I actually saw it listed either way. This is also not the first time that Crane Wilbur did something that Vincent Price was involved with. He was primarily a writer. He directed a little bit, but he was primarily a writer and he wrote movies like The Mad Magician and House of Wax. But again, limited research tells me this is the first time he actually directed Vincent Price. Now, he plays Dr. Wells in the movie, and he's surrounded with a number of excellent actors with genre cred. We've got Agnes Moorhead. Y'all know her as Endora from the TV show Bewitched. And you've got Gavin Gordon in here. Now, Gordon played Byron in The Bride of Frankenstein. So you've got some genre heavyweights 
in the movie that I don't know if it really understood what kind of movie it was trying to be. So the bat is a master criminal. You don't know what his face looks like. He's a faceless man. He's got clawed hands. He steals things. Maybe he kills people. But that's not how the movie starts. The movie starts at a bank. And now maybe it's kind of like a bank heist thing, which kind of goes along with this master criminal storyline. But it's not about a guy who broke into a bank and killed a bunch of people and took whatever he wanted. Just have some missing bank notes. It's not overly dramatic, at least nothing that feels like the work of a master criminal named the bat. And then we go to a hunting cabin with Vincent Price and the guy who runs the bank. And you know what? I like Vincent Price, and I don't mean to sound overly critical, but Vincent Price, to me, is the gentleman of horror. He hangs out with the Muppets and Tim Burton. He's not a camper. I I know there's a cabin involved and that sort of thing. He's just not a rugged outdoors type. Now, he does belong in a movie like this because Dr. Wells isn't as nice a guy as maybe Vincent Price sounds like he should be. He is a horror character in a horror movie. There's some killing going on, some murdering, some double-crossing. Where's the money? Who's the bat? How's the bat involved? What is Agnes Moorhead doing? Now, Moorhead plays Cornelia Van Gorder, who is this mystery writer who is the perfect character to build a mystery story around. Think Murder, She Wrote with Vincent Price and, well, a killer wearing a all-black mask. And I mentioned Gavin Gordon. I got to mention him. He's Lieutenant Anderson, who is one of the police officers trying to figure out just who the bat is, where the money is, are the stories connected, are we ever going to get to the family tomb? And there's so many different questions happening here. I kind of forgot them because every time that Gordon and Price had a scene together, man, it sparkled. These two played off each other so well. I don't want to get into a lot of specifics about the story because it is a mystery story with a lot of twists and turns. But every time these two are on screen together, it's as if the characters knew exactly what each other's motivations were, but were afraid to say. It's like, who's going to play their hand first? Well, I'm not going to play my hand. I'm going to talk in these cryptic riddles and phrases, and I'm not going to give too much away. And I'm, It's just so good. These two are wonderful, and Moorhead is great in the film as well. Also, you know, since we're talking about the cast, I should go ahead and mention Darla Hood's in the movie, who is... Darla from the original Little Rascals slash Our Gang short movies from back in the 20s and 30s and such. My understanding is that this was one of her last, if not the very last film roles for her. She doesn't have a huge role in the movie. Would have been interesting to see her maybe transition into some more of these horror type movies in the 50s and such. But alas, it didn't happen. Again, I don't want to get into a lot of details. And I'm not trying to be coy and I'm not trying to not give you the best review possible. The best review possible of this movie is perhaps to tell you... You need to see it because Vincent Price is fantastic in this movie. Actually, if I could go back in time and redo my top Vincent Price movie list with Dr. Gangrene, I would include the bat on that list because he is fantastic in this film, especially against Gavin Gordon, especially with Agnes Moorhead on the screen. I was convinced that his character was involved in the story in a different way, on a different level. Then it turns out he was. And again, I'm not spoiling it, but you got to see it, especially when it looks so good. And it sells for right now less than $10 on Amazon. Real easy to pick up. Definitely think it's something that you need to. (laughs) If I can quote a fellow B-movie podcaster, it's definitely one for your collection. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Filmmax, Chiller Theater, 
or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. Hey, Derek, this is Steve Sullivan calling at last to leave a message about Monster Kid Radio, which, of course, I've been listening to since uh, it began and really digging the show a lot. And somehow it just it always goes so fast. It's like by the time I think I'm going to call you, something else has come along. And even though that's happened again, I figured it was finally time to actually give you a call. The uh, I wanted to, what prompted me to call was the Crimson Ghosts because suddenly you've been turned on to serials. I've been into serials, I think, probably since I was a little kid when they used to play them on Saturday morning starting really early. Uh, back out in the in the Boston area, I don't remember if it was a Boston or a Providence station, or maybe it was more than one. But they used to to play Buck Rogers and uh, Flash Gordon at least, and they might have played other stuff too. It's long enough ago that it's hard to remember, but I do remember those too. And that that turned me on to serials. And you're playing the Crimson Ghost, uh, kind of kicked me in the butt and it reminded me that I had the Crimson Ghost uh, waiting to be burned onto disc and watched. And I had forgotten it, and I started to watch it, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's a fun serial, uh, you know. As you can probably tell from, oh, Daikaiju Attack, if nothing else, I'm a big fan of serials. I really enjoy them a lot. Uh, you've got Linda Sterling in this one, and she is the queen of serials. She's just, she's in a lot of cool stuff. She's in, uh, I think, Zora's Black Whip and uh, the Tiger Woman and other things like that. So she's... He's just awesome. Clayton Moore, always great to see him, even if it's weird to see him as a as a black hat since uh, for pretty much his whole life he uh, he wore the uh, the the white hat and the mask and, and carried the silver bullets. So anyway, uh, I'm glad you're enjoying that. You know, it's a Republic. Republic does the best serials, and not only that, but they also have the Lidecker brothers, who were amazing miniature and special effects artists. Those guys are just you know, really astonishing, especially given the time period. They're they're clearly the best. So now that you're into this, I figured I'd, I'd recommend a few other serials to track down. I know there are some that I haven't seen that are are at least this good, but uh, there's stuff that you probably want to know. First of all, all you're going to want to look for some of the Bella Lugosi serials. Bella was in five serials. I've got three of them. Phantom Creeps, uh, The Return of Shandu, and SOS Coast Guard. And you can usually pick those up fairly cheaply from uh, 
from Alpha. You can probably watch them online too. Uh, there's two others as well that I'm, I'm thinking I'm probably going to order within the next week now that I've been reminded that I don't have them. Karloff was in a couple of serials too, but I haven't seen them. Um, and I'm probably going to order one of those because uh, Alpha Video, uh, oldies.com is having, they're having a sale right now, which is a really a kind of nice thing for those of us that have way too many videos to watch anyway. But in any case, uh, that's something people might want to check out. The Captain Marvel video, uh, serial is one of the best ever and is really worth seeking out. There's a really nice DVD print of that. The Flash Gordon serials, there are three different ones. They're all excellent um, and and uh, obviously very influential. And if you like Buster Crab, you can go for uh, Buck Rogers at that point, too. Now, because you're enjoying Linda Sterling, you should definitely check out The Tiger Woman with her. And you should also look for Jungle Girl, uh, and the Perils of Nyoka, I believe they're both called. There, it's uh, in theory the first one's based on Burroughs, but it's not. But it's it's a uh, a girl action adventure thing, and they're both. These are great serials. So many of these have echoes in Indiana Jones. In fact, Indiana Jones directly ripped off a number of them. So they're really worth seeing. And it's funny when you encounter a scene in an old uh, serial and you go, oh, my God, that was in Temple of Doom. Or, oh, my God, that was in the Raiders. Anyway, glad you're enjoying the serials. Have a great time. I'm, uh, I just released White Zombie. You know about that. I continue to release a free episode of Daikaiju Attack every week. People can find that on my site. At stephendsullivan.com or sdsullivan.com or even daikaijuattack.com. Anyway, have a great week and continue putting out great podcasts. And I will be talking to you really soon. Have a good one. Bye. Steve, thank you so much for calling and leaving us a voicemail. Uh, you know, as far as the serials go, I'm digging them. I'm really enjoying them. And you mentioned Zorro's Black Whip and Linda Sterling and. I mean, she's great. She was in The Crimson Ghost, of course, but she would also do a number of other projects that I need to track down, including Zorro's Black Whip. I'm actually about halfway through that. Paul Curtis sent me a copy of that serial, and like I said, I'm through the first half. The pacing is slightly different than like The Crimson Ghost, and it's a Western, so sort of. Well, yeah, technically it is. So it's got a different style of storytelling but once the action kicks in man it's there i don't know if i like the action as much as i did in something like the crimson ghost the crimson ghost being a contemporary story at the time so you've got cars and planes whereas with zorro's black whip you don't have any zorro to begin with but you also don't have any cars everything's on horseback and covered wagon and carts and horse and buggy and all these things which can be exciting don't get me wrong i'm not saying i've got to have the cars to to be thrilled by a chase scene but there's something about it that doesn't feel as intense because it's still all animal movement and not nearly as fast and speedy. So I don't feel as in danger as I would with something like in the Crimson Ghost. But like I said, I really, really like Linda Sterling in this. She's kind of becoming one of my favorite go-to actresses in these serial type movies. I know that she didn't do all the stunts. I know she had a stunt woman or two typically uncredited in these things. But she's great. She's fun to watch. She's got some great charisma. She's got 
loads of confidence and could carry a story by herself. I actually think the Zero's Black Whip suffers when she's not allowed to carry the story, when she's not allowed to be more than what she is in the film. There's a few times in the movie, in the chapters anyway, where she's kind of shoved to the background. Once it's pretty clear that she's Zero's Black Whip to the audience, which happens pretty quick, she's more prominent, but still she feels a little relegated to the background every once in a while, or at least more so than she was in things like The Crimson Ghost. Of course, I knew about the Bella Lugosi serials. Just haven't watched them. I think I've even got them here. But man, my DVD collection is filled with DVDs that I just haven't gotten around to watching yet. Don't tell my wife I said that. Um, <laughs> but I am aware of the serials by Bella Lugosi. I also need to check out the serials by Harry Houdini uh, because I've got a mad fandom for Harry Houdini as well. I will continue to follow these serials or review them or watch them, consume them, and maybe even talk about them on future episodes of Monster Kid Radio. Steve, thank you so much for calling in. And again, I know I said it once before, Paul, thank you for sending me Zorro's Black Whip as well as the other serials you sent me. And remember, if you want to leave feedback for the show like Steve did, you can always shoot us an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call us at 503-479-5MKR. And leave us a voicemail. You can find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show at the website, monsterkidradio.net. Check the show notes. You'll find links to Stephen D. Sullivan's website. You'll find links to Rich's or Chris's website. Anything that we've talked about this week, you're going to find over there. Next week on Monster Kid Radio begins our two-week series of Christmas coverage. I'm going to be talking about the movie Santa Claus Conquers the Martians with Scott Morris. He's coming back to the show. I'm also going to be doing the first annual Monster Kid Radio Holiday Gift Guide. And this Friday the 13th here in the Portland, Oregon area, specifically in Beaverton at 3855 Southwest Murray Boulevard, the 13th Door Haunted House is opening the doors one night only for Krampus Christmas. Sounds like it's going to be a haunted house Christmas style with Krampus and maybe even a photo op with Krampus himself. So I'm going to be doing that. If you are in the area and feel like joining me, well, I'll see you there. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0, unported license. However, the song, Theme from the Unknown, that belongs to the Ogres. It appears on their album, The Acrid and Misanthropic Sounds of the Ogres. You can find it over at ogres.bandcamp.com, and it appears in this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Talk to you next week.